Well, good morning. Thank you for allowing me to do that. That doesn't really have anything to do with the message, but I think it's important that we remember that God has blessed this country, and he continues to do so. And so we want to continue to lift up those who are fighting for us today. Do you want to be where God wants you to be? And that's kind of the question that we left with last week, and the one I want to start with today. Because over the week, I hope and pray that you guys have been really thinking about that question. Am I am today where God wants me to be? Last week we learned that direction, not intention, determines our destination. You can want really, really hard and you can want a lot and you can wish and pray and hope that you are in one place. But your direction is going to determine where you end up. The path you're on will determine where you end up and how your life will go. Life is a series of paths, so understanding the principle of the path is an important step and maybe figuring this life out. It is important that we are able to recognize the path that we are on, and more importantly, where that path is leading us. Once we have determined those things, we can then make a decision regarding the direction of our lives. So many of us fall into the trap of deciding which path to take before knowing where the path is going. And I think all of us at one point or another have done that. We see a path that looks good, we jump on it before we have any clue where that path is going to lead us. It is such a backwards way to think and a backwards way to do life. Just think about it. We are willing to go in a direction without any sort of knowledge of the destination of that direction. That, in a nutshell, guys, is why we are feeling lost today. Because we're willing to go somewhere we have no idea where we're going. So last week I shared a GPS story, and and for all of us men in here, who I'm sure have been in this, we we like to argue with the GPS, right? We'll be going and we'll set the directions and GPS will turn right. I'm like, no, I know better than you, GPS. I'm going to keep going straight. And and, and then what the GPS will say goes, when it is safe to do so, please make a U-turn and head the other direction. And we as men will argue with the GPS. Like, you don't know lady in the box, because I'm driving my car, I know where I'm going. Eventually, we realize we're lost, and we do what it says. It says, when it's safe to do so, please make a U-turn and go in the other direction. I believe there are many of us here this morning that feel like we're right there. We've argued with the lady in the box for too long. We realize that we're lost, and now we're telling ourselves, when it's safe to do so, I'm going to turn around and head in a different direction. You have taken an honest look at your situation and are ready to finally get things headed in that right direction. As the GPS tells us sometimes, sometimes we just have to turn around and head in a different way. This morning I want to look at how we can change the direction of our lives and ultimately change the destination of our lives. If you remember, direction, not intention, determines our destination. I want to look at a few ways this morning in which we can adjust the course of our lives and therefore change our destinies. The direction you're on and where you're going today, guys, you don't have to continue in that direction. And today we're going to talk about how we can switch and what are the things we can do. The first thing we need to understand is that we always have to look ahead. Before you can get on the right path, you must first get off of the wrong path. You must reach a point in your life when you take an honest look at your situation. And you must determine where you want to be. And then determine if the current path you're on will get you to where you want to be. 
It's one of the most difficult moments of anybody's life is to look in that mirror and be honest with yourself. And say that I really wanted to, I wanted to be a good husband. I wanted to be a good father. I wanted to be a good Christian. But realizing the path you're on is not going to allow you to be that. I want to be a good father, but I'm working 100 hours a week. I want to be a good husband, but I ignore my wife and I, and, and I spend all my time with my friends and my children. You want to be a good Christian, but it takes a lot of time to pray and to go to church and to be in a small group and to be involved. And I just don't have that time. Or are you going to look in that mirror and say, you know what, I have to change something. Because I can't be who God wants me to be on this path that I'm on. Proverbs 22 verse 3 tells us, The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. And I can't tell you how many times I've been the simple one. And I've just kept on going. The prudent or the wise see that life is connected. They see a beginning and they see an end. A prudent man recognizes that life is not about singular events, but about getting from point A to point B and then point B to point C and so on. I think so many of us just look at point A and that's all we focus on. And we don't really care where A leads to. A prudent man sees danger ahead and takes the right course to avoid it. The prudent man makes the necessary changes, takes the initial hit, but avoids suffering in the long term. Sometimes to get off the path you're on, you're going to have to take a hit, and it's going to hurt a little bit. But you have to determine, is this temporary pain going to be better than a, a further pain down the road as I continue down the wrong path? I had a friend of mine in high school whose aunt went sightseeing in the New England coast. And she went just as the remnants of Hurricane Bob, which I think 91 or 92, had just left the area. And she said it was a beautiful sunny day and they went out uh, onto the coast and they were going to do a little whale watching and kind of go out and look at, look at things from the, from the boat. About halfway into their trip, all of a sudden she notices the boat takes this sharp turn to the right. Next thing she knows, essentially as the sun was blotted out, this big rogue wave that had been kicked up by the hurricane was coming into the shore. Fortunately for them, the pilot had been paying attention. He looked on the horizon and saw it coming and was able to turn the boat in time to avoid any damage, and the wave ended up crashing into the shore. Can you imagine if that pilot was only focused on what was going on in the boat? What may have happened? There have been many times I've been focused on the boat. And not on where the boat's going and what's going on around the boat. That, my friends, is what a simple man does. They focus on what's going directly in front of them, what's going on right now, what's happening today at this minute. A simple man makes no connection of events. He sees every event as a singular happening. This event happens, and then this event happens, and then this event happens, and then this happens. He doesn't connect the dots. A simple man may see danger or have the danger pointed out to them, but they continue on anyway. A simple man will use phrases like, I probably should change that, but I thought it was wrong, but I knew what was ahead, but. A simple man sees the danger or hears about the danger, ignores the danger, and continues going down the path. As the proverb says, a simple man suffers harm and then gets upset at God because it was his fault, right? It's God's fault that something happened to me. If God really loved me, he wouldn't let this happen. 
Even though I'm on the wrong path, going in the wrong direction, doing the wrong things, it's God's fault. Because he loves me and he should knock me off the path. Here's a practical example of this, guys. And and this is something that we all struggle with every, every Sunday. So you go to church and the spirit really begins to speak into your life. Now, maybe you hear a, life, a powerful message. Maybe the worship just touches your heart and touches your spirit in a way where you just really feel the Lord's talking to you. A prudent man leaves and begins to determine what needs to happen in his life and adjust accordingly. A prudent man will listen to that voice of God and say, you know what, I need to change this and this and do this and, and do these things. A simple man says to himself, I know I should. I was really moved by that, but I've got to figure out what I'm going to do for lunch today. And nothing happens. Getting a grasp of this verse is vitally important because there always exists a point of no return. Every, ha- every path has a point in which you cannot return from. There is always a place where you will be harmed. You are harmed because you did not recognize the danger as it was ahead of you. You did not recognize the danger because you felt it was right and you were not looking or you were getting bad advice from somebody else. You felt it was right because everybody else was doing it. So it must be right because everybody's doing it. Once the point of return is reached, it is impossible to get out unscathed. You will always be harmed. Something will always be damaged. And something one will always be hurt. You cannot step back from that point of no return and avoid the consequences. After you dive into the pool, it is too late to see if there's any water in it. You're left with the consequences of whether there's water or not. Relationships and finances are the two biggest areas that can cause us to be simple-minded. Because they are the two things that are closest to our hearts, if we're honest with ourselves. We would like to say it's God, but for most of us, it's relationships and finances. Those are the things that get our heart. So it's very easy to be simple in those areas. Being simple is seeing danger and continuing on. Every path takes us somewhere, but the wise recognize that and they change paths if necessary. The simple keep going and hope that it will be different for them than it was for every other person that's been on that path. So the question I have, I didn't have room to put these on your, on your sermon notes, so I'll go ahead and write these down, is how do we actually change paths? What are things that we can do to change the path we're on? Number one is action. We actually need to do something about it. Once you recognize that you're on the wrong path and you begin to recognize there is a path that the Lord is asking me to be on, you have to do something about it. So take an action. Number two, there is going to be a sacrifice made. You have to give something up to get from one path to another. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a reputation. For us men, maybe it's just our pride. Maybe we have to set our pride aside and say, you know what? I've got to be on this other path. Maybe it's a lifestyle. Maybe it's a friendship. Maybe it's a plan. Maybe it's a dream. Maybe it's a desire. Something has to be given up to get on the path that we need to be on. The third one, embarrassment. People are not going to understand why, and you will face embarrassment. And and I can speak to this one personally. I know I was working construction, working a lot. I mean, I was making a lot of money. We were terrible with money, so it's unfortunate. But that's how we learn and that's how we grow. But I was making, I think, eighty to $90,000 a year. 
Well, I got the call into full-time ministry. In my first year in full-time ministry, I made $30,000. So I took basically a $60,000 pay cut. And there was not one other than my mother who didn't understand, but she loves me and supports me. Almost everybody else in my family thought I was an idiot for dropping $60,000. They were telling me, you cannot take care of your family on that. You have a wife, you have three girls, you have no insurance. How can you take care of your family? So I had to suffer the embarrassment of knowing that the Lord was calling me into ministry. Because when the world looked in, it made no sense to them why you would leave that much money on the table. And then the last thing you're going to find when you change paths is there's relief. One day you will breathe a sigh of relief and say, what if we hadn't changed the path? You know, you'll be, "Ah, I'm so glad we did that. Because that sigh is much better than the sigh of saying, why did we not change the path? And all the pain and the hurt and the anguish that come from that. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. Do you want to waste your life? Do you want to be on your deathbed thinking, I've wasted so much of my life and so much possibility and so many things that the Lord had for me? The warning signs are there if you just look ahead. If you look ahead, you'll see the warning signs that you are on the wrong path. And if you're not now, you will be. Every single one of us will be. So it is up to you to do something about it. After discovering where the path is headed is now on to the next phase of the journey. We have to determine what path will take us where God wants us to be and which path won't. There's no point in getting off a wrong path to get on another wrong path. We want to make sure if we get off the wrong path, we're getting on the right paths. To go in the right direction, it is vitally important to choose the right path from the very beginning. For example, you know, let's say you're, you're a dating couple and it's really difficult and really hard nowadays to date and it's really hard to stay pure. But you always tell yourself, we want to honor the Lord and I want to honor my spouse in, in our relationship. The right thing is to not take the relationship too far. It's to set boundaries in place and say, I I need to honor my wife. I need to honor my Lord. I need to honor myself and and do the hard thing to stay on the right path because it's really difficult after it happens to say, I want to honor the Lord now in my relationship and in my... And so sometimes you have to just do the right thing. With finances, I've talked about this a lot. If you want to save money, if you want to be able to honor the Lord, you have to spend less than you make. It seems like a simple statement, but it's very, very difficult for a lot of us. So if you're not spending less than you're making, you either have to change how much you make, which in our society now is really difficult, or you have to spend less. And sometimes you have to make the hard decisions of what's it going to take to spend less. I may not have the new car. I may not have the, you know. But as the Lord told me, he goes, would you rather have food on the table or wheels in the driveway? And I'd rather have food on the table than wheels in the driveway. Parenting. There's decisions you have to make as parents. And every one of us as a parent has failed (laughs) at some point along the way. And that's okay because that's how we learn. But you always have to say, are we going to honor the Lord in this process? And when we stumbled, we get back and say, okay, I'm going to continue to honor the Lord and he's going to lead me through it. Or am I just going to parent willy-nilly and read every book and take every bit of advice and take every, or am I going to do the wise things? 
how are the decisions in your life made? When you guys make a decision, how do you make those? Do you make it on just pure emotion? Do you make it on what feels good? Or is there a process involved? Oftentimes, we gather as much information as possible and then decide. Sometimes we decide based solely on our emotions. Sometimes we decide just because we're hungry or whatever. Uh, we, I've done that. Never go shopping at Walmart when you're hungry, by the way. So you don't make good shopping decisions. There are even a few times when we're feeling really spiritual and we feel like we're on the ball when we might actually pray and then decide something. But life is always filled with decisions and these decisions, good or bad, will have an impact on the future. So what we're going to do, we've all made bad decisions. I have a little video here. The difference between these guys and us is they actually had their bad decisions caught on video. I'm not sure what's going on in this one. They clearly have history. <laughs> so we don't get our dumb decisions put on video like these guys did, but we all make them. More often than not, we do find ourselves making bad decisions. These decisions lead to a series of other bad decisions, all because of the initial bad decision. We get to the point of being stuck with no options and only bad decisions laid out before us. Why? Most bad decisions are not made because of a lack of information. We have the information we need to make a good, sound, smart decision. Bad decisions are made because of the thought processes we go through. Bad decisions are made because we ignore the information, not because we don't have the information. The second thing we learn about to getting off the wrong path and onto the right one is that you have to lean not on your own understanding. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 7. Place your trust in the eternal God. Rely on him completely. Never depend on your own ideas and inventions. Give him credit for everything you accomplish, and he will smooth out and straighten the path that lies ahead. And don't think you can decide on your own what is right and what is wrong. Respect the eternal God, turn, and run from evil. The only way to make a good, smart, sound decision is to trust in the Lord with all that you have and all that you are. Solomon is telling us that if we trust God with all we are, if we don't support ourselves with our own knowledge, if we know him in all of our ways, God will make our path straight. If we want to make a smart decision and be directed by God, we have to begin with submission and with trust. Life's direction does not come from a search for direction. Life's direction comes from a submission to God's will. Submission leads to direction. Like I said earlier, bad decisions are not made due to a lack of information. They are made because we, have, we lack submission to God. It comes from a lack of making God Lord over every aspect of our life. And that includes our decisions. Is God the Lord of our decisions? Or do we just pray and hope that he blesses the decision that we make? I've, I've done that myself. 
I made a decision because I wanted to, and then when I pray to the God, Lord, please bless the, this decision that I made on my own. Instead of saying, God, I need you to make this decision for me. Don't be wise in your own eye, for it is not enough to make a good decision. Good decision-making does not come from more information. Good decision-making comes from more God. Once God penetrates into every area of your life, the decisions you make will start to improve. There are three things to think about as part of the decision-making process. And these are the things that get us in trouble. Number one, pride overrides wisdom. I know better, right? I know what the wise thing is, but I know better. Because I know myself, and I know what's better. The second one, arrogance overrides common sense. This is me we're talking about. So this is going to happen. This isn't somebody else. This isn't the guy down the street. This isn't my neighbor. You might probably have great neighbors. This is me we're talking about. And finally, the third one. Self-importance overrides discernment. Someone like me has to do this because it's me. I have to do this because I'm the guy. I'm the one that can do it. So I'm going to repeat those again. Pride overrides wisdom. Arrogance overrides common sense. And self-importance overrides discernment. Do you really acknowledge God in all of your ways? Do you acknowledge him in the areas you have wisdom and experience in? And that's what he means by all of your ways. Some of us are really, really good at our jobs. Do we acknowledge God in those areas of our lives in which we're good at our jobs? Do we acknowledge God in our job? Or or do we acknowledge him in everything else but our jobs because I'm really good at my job? Direction, not intention, determines our destination. Direction comes from submission. Submission to God will help determine your destination. It is up to you to submit. The final step in determining our direction is the one that gives us the most fits. It is an easy idea to understand, but a very difficult one to put into practice. However, the ability to apply this to our lives will go a long way in setting us on the right path. Point number three, that thing is called the attention principle. The attention principle in a nutshell says this, things that capture our attention will set our direction. Those things that you look, that you notice that you're looking on tend to set the direction you go. And it's the same with driving, right? When, they tra- when in driver's training, they're t- telling you to pick out a point ahead of you and stay focused on it because you'll keep driving ahead. And every one of us at some point or another might see like the burger place off to the side or whatever, or the nice looking human being, whether it's a guy or a girl. And guess what? If you focus too long, your car tends to go in that direction that you're focusing on. And then you do one of these things, skip back, and the heart goes. (laughs) So the things that capture our attention will set our direction. These attention getting things suddenly begin to get more and more of our time and more and more of our energy. Our thought life focuses on these attention-getting items. Our plans focus on these attention-grabbing things. Our actions center on these things. Our resources, things like our money, our time, our stuff, begins to get redirected towards these things which have our attention. In a nutshell, our lives begin to change, sometimes drastically, because of where our attention is going. 
When something grabs our attention, it sets our motivations and it influences our decisions. And that ultimately sets the direction of our lives. You guys have seen this movie? It's it's up. There's a couple little clips in here that are going to tell us a little bit more about paying attention. We have your dog. Whoa. Wonder who he belongs to. Sit, boy. Hey, look, he's trained. Shake. Uh-huh. Speak. Hi there. Did that dog just say hi there? Oh, yes. Brad. My name is Doug. I have just met you, and I love you. My master made me this collar. He is a good and smart master, and he made me this collar so that I may talk. Squirrel! My master is good and smart. It's not possible. Oh, it is because my master is smart. <gasps> cool. What do these do, boy? Hey, would you go to Cradle Contigo? I use that collar. What Toshiwa Hanashima to talk with? I would be happy if you stop. Oh, here it is. I, I picked up the bird's scent. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What is this? Chocolate. I smell chocolate. I'm getting fruit and denser cream. Who are they? Oh, man, Master will not be pleased. We better tell him someone took the bird, right, Alpha? No. Soon enough, the bird will be ours yet again. I must set my compadres, and you too shall have much rewarding from Master for the toil factor you wage. Hey, Alpha, I think there's something wrong with your collar. You must have bumped it. Yeah! Your voice sounds funny! <laughs> <laughs> Mayhaps you desire to challenge the ranking that I have been assigned by my strength and cunning. No, no, no. But maybe Doug would. You might want to ask him. (laughs) Yeah. I wonder if he's found the bird on his very special mission. (laughs) Do not mention Doug to me at this time. His fool's errand will keep him most occupied, most occupied indeed. (laughs) Do you not agree with that which I am saying to you now? Sure, but the second master finds out you sent Doug out by himself, none of us will get a treat. You are wise, my trusted lieutenant. This is Alpha calling Doug. Come in, Doug. Hi, Alpha. And your voice sounds funny. I know, I know. Have you seen the bird? Why, yes. The bird is my prisoner now. Yeah, right. Impossible. Where are you? I am here with the bird. And I will bring it back, and then you will like me. Oh, gotta go. Hey, dog. Who are you talking to? Oh, wait, wait. What's dog doing? Why is he with that small mailman? Where are they? Now we have to go home and watch up. But they did it, right? Squirrel. We've all seen dogs do that. We, we do that in our lives as well. What types of situations are described as attention-getting moments? An attention-getting moment is anything that I would describe as a double-take moment, something that we, we look twice at, something maybe we focus more than just a few seconds on. It is an event that occurs in our lives that makes us question the direction of our life. For example, a lucrative career opportunity comes up which would require a complete change in lifestyle that may take a double take. That may get your attention. You meet the one again. It gets your attention. An illness occurs or an accident happens. Got your attention. 
You are promised a life-changing evening. Got your attention? Or the last one, I'm pregnant. That one really gets your attention. We can look back and see how the direction of our life was influenced by these attention-getting moments. From these events, the principle becomes very clear. Attention influences direction, and direction has a predetermined destination. Our attention will direct our destination. Attention-getting events in our lives are only a small part of the picture. We also choose to give our attention to things. We make conscious decisions every day to direct our focus on things, whether they're good or bad. How many times have we looked back and asked ourselves this question? I wish I would have paid more attention to my fill-in-the-blank marriage, kids, job, faith, whatever it may be. I wish I would have paid more attention to that. Attention getting is purely an emotional process. It's what movies, books, music, and advertisers try and do every single day. It involves quick, thoughtless decisions. On the other hand, giving our attention to something is a decision we have to consciously make. We have made up our minds that something is important, therefore our attention must go there. Sitting here today, all of us have chosen to pay attention to something, whether it's good or bad. And these things, and the things that have grabbed our attention... We have to look at the big picture and ask ourselves this question. Is this thing in my life going to help me move forward? Or is it going to set me back? Whether it has grabbed your attention or you have given it your attention is irrelevant. What will giving my attention to this do for the direction of my life? Is it going to move me forward or is it going to set me back? Psalm 119 verse 35 to 37. Help me stay on the path of your commands, for I take pleasure in it. Turn my heart to your decrees and not to material gain. Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. Give me life in your ways. Lord, just help me not pay attention to what matters and not pay attention to things that don't. Hebrews 2 verse 1. We must therefore pay even more attention to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. The Bible is very clear. That if we're not paying attention to what we have to, we're going to drift. We can see very easy the direction that the others around us are heading. We talked about this last week. It is almost impossible to see when we look in the mirror the direction we're heading. We look at ourselves and so often focus on the here, the people around us, to see where we're actually going. God responds and reacts according to where we are headed. He sees destination and works in our lives accordingly. It is time we focus on the same. There's two things I want you to think about here. What has captured your attention that shouldn't? And secondly, what do you need to pay more attention to? So what has captured your attention that shouldn't? What do you need to pay more attention to? People are a complex being and we can't find ourselves in, and we can find ourselves in complex situations. We can see these principles so clearly in the lives of those around us but are totally blank when it comes to our own lives. We disconnect our paths, our focus and our decisions with the destination that it takes us. We we treat them as two separate things. We lose track of ourselves, lose focus and before you know it, we are left asking ourselves the question How did I get here? 
God is absolutely interested in your destination. He has somewhere for you to be. The question is, do you want to be there? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, Father, so much for this opportunity, Father, that you've laid before us. Father God, I just praise you, Lord, that you've put this message on my heart. Because I firmly believe, Father, we have a lot of people in this room that are dealing with this right now. That they're staring with this situation of, I see the path I'm on, I see what's going on, and I realize I am not where you want me to be. And sometimes there's not a more desperate feeling than realizing we're not where our Father wants us to be. And so, God, I ask right now that you begin to speak to every one of us in this room, Father. First and foremost, Lord, give us the boldness, give us the ability, give us the strength, and most importantly, give us the honesty to see that we are not on the right path. And once you do that, Father God, I ask that you lovingly begin to show us the right path, Father. Help us look ahead. Help us see the decision we make today and how that might affect tomorrow, not just look at the decision today. Father God, help me remove myself from the picture, Father God, as as I look for understanding, as I look for knowledge, as I look for direction. Lord, may I rely on you and you alone because that's the only way I can be where you want me to be. And finally, Father God, give me the ability to pay attention to the things that matter most to you. Not on the things that matter or I think that matter to me. Because those things are just taking my attention away from what's important. Father God, I believe that that's the case for people in here as well, Lord. So I just lift these things to you, Father God. I lift the decisions that have to be made. I firmly believe that there's decisions people are going to have to make, Father God, that you're challenging them with. Decisions that you want them to make, not decisions they want to make. And so I just lift those to you, Father God, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's a job, whether it's financial, whether it's family-related, whatever it may be, Father, I ask that you give us the guidance that we need. We thank you for this opportunity to come and worship together, Father God. We thank you for this opportunity to share your word together. And we thank you for this opportunity to be able just to lift up every heart and every spirit in this room right now to you in prayer, Father. Because I'm a firm believer, Lord, that when we stop and we pray and we tune into the Spirit, I believe for one minute the angels in heaven are stopping and watching us right now. And they're saying, look at my people pray. And so, Father God, we thank you, Lord. We love you. And I ask that you go before these people and you bless them in a mighty way this week, Father. It's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.